everybody tries to second guess what's going to happen in the housing market. And if anybody gets that right, they would be very, very wealthy. You know, I always say to buyers, just do your homework. Make sure that you fully understand what it is that you're going to be buying. Make sure that you've read the legal pack and you understand what it is that you're doing. But I would say my advice to buyers, you've just got to be there. You've got to participate. Otherwise, you could potentially miss out on something. So I think it's just taking part. You're listening to Expat Property Story, a podcast in which I share my story to smooth the way for you to have your own Hello there. We're up to episode 45 or week 11 of the auction season in which I have set myself a challenge to buy a UK property at auction within four months without setting foot in the UK, which means I have just five weeks left for either a triumphant conclusion or egg on my face. That was the voice of Sally Smith, auctioneer and director of Lovitz, who will be offering us her opinions on how things are shaping up in the auctions in early October 2022, which may help you decide if you would like to have your own expat auction story. Now, before we catch up with my expat auction challenge, it will be strange not to address what's happening in the UK property market at the time of this episode's release on October the 12th, 2022. You may have heard that what happens in the auctions is often a precursor to what happens in the wider property market as a whole. So you'd be well advised to keep an eye on the world of UK property auctions in the coming months as everyone tries to get a handle on where the market's heading. So I thought it may well be worth hearing an auctioneer's perspective on the state of the market. My name's Sally Smith. I'm auctioneer and director at Lovitz Estate Agents Auctioneers and Chartered Spares. We're based in Coventry. We cover Coventry and Warwickshire. My focus on a day-to-day basis is the auction department. Now, to be fair to Sally, she was speaking before the mini budget that seems to have moved the goalposts for the UK property market. And this episode was released just one day after Lovitz October auction. But even before Mr. Kwarteng's announcement, it seemed to me like the market was shifting in favour of buyers rather than sellers. Is it, in your opinion, is it a buyer's or a seller's market at the moment? The auction marketplace always is both because you've got such a combination of sellers selling for different reasons and buyers buying for different reasons. So, yeah, I would say both. And I think it always will. So what are you seeing? Because people say that what happens in the auctions happens in the open market six months later. Uh, Your next auction, I think, is in beginning of October, right? How were your results from the last auction? Because one auction house that I know of, registered bidders are down 36%. More properties are getting withdrawn. Is it something you might be expecting in this one? It's really, really interesting. And I think There'll be the national stats, you know, that you'll always be able to refer to. But for us, we found that our July auction, so our July auction was a live auction. We'd had a live auction in May. So our May auction was great. It was the first one back in the room. It was a great auction. July auction, the numbers were down compared to May and our success rate was down. Now, I put that down to the fact that sellers' expectations had still been going up. And perhaps we were still feeling like we were still in a positive, growing, increasing marketplace. But the reality was that the market had already turned because the buyers were just not, they just weren't there in July. You could put that down to the lots that were being offered. But I think there is always an element that anything will sell if it's at the right price. So if your numbers are down, 
if your success is down, ultimately it's just down to pricing. So what we did with the September auction, which we had 10 days ago, when we were appraising the the, the, the lots for the September auction, we had probably more in-depth conversation with sellers about genuinely where we thought the market was and where we felt the market potentially was going at that point. So I think from an auctioneer's point of view, you, we also have to react a lot quicker to the market, which I think we did do. We recognised the fact that there weren't so many buyers around a couple of months ago. So therefore, the way that you deal with that is you have to be more competitive with regards to your pricing and a lot smarter when it comes to your marketing. You know, for us, we had a really, really good September auction. And I think that that was because our sellers' expectations were realistic. Overall, buyers are down, but there's still plenty of buyers out there. You said you reacted well to it and you basically managed the sellers' expectations, I guess, by getting them to lower their their reserve price. Is that fair, right? I would say we probably took a more cautious approach to our advice. We're very upfront and honest with sellers. When we talk to sellers, you know, we talk about where we think the market's going, where the stats are, um, talking to them about the results that we had in July. This is what we're expecting to happen. So our view is that sellers have just got to be as competitive as you feel comfortable with. And ultimately, it's their property and they can do whatever they want with it. You know, we're not trying to take somebody down a route that they don't want to go. But what we're trying to do is give them best advice so that they can make their decisions about what they want to do. The other thing you said you did was smarter marketing. What did you do? Smarter marketing, probably a bit more marketing. You know, social media is where we do the majority of our marketing. We tweaked it. So the video tours that we do, we try to be a little bit more humorous, perhaps in some of our video tours that that we did. I suppose give that personal approach to everything that we do. We're lucky that we, we're quite a big business. So as a company, our auction team is just a part of the business. So I've got a lot of other resources that I can call upon with regards to assisting, with regards to the marketing. We spent a bit more money. We did a little bit more. We haven't reinvented the wheel, um, but we've just worked hard and worked smarter. And talking to people, Talking to people was a key as well, I think, to the success of the last auction, just making sure that we are helping our buyers understand what it is that they're doing, understand the process, understanding what their commitment is and giving them confidence that they can actually bid for something as long as they have done X, Y and Z. So those are kind of some of the changes that occur when the market slows down and talked about some marketing tricks and managing sellers expectations. But how can buyers position themselves to take advantage when the market becomes slower? participate I would say I say to buyers you've got to be in it to win it and you know if you're not there on the day putting your hand up then you're not going to be able to give yourself the opportunity to buy something at a price that you're comfortable in buying but you know it goes back to buyers making sure that they've done their homework making sure that they understand potentially what they're prepared to pay every everybody tries to second guess what's going to happen in the housing market And if anybody gets that right, they would be very, very wealthy. So, you know, I always say to buyers, you know, just do your homework. Make sure that you fully understand what it is that you're going to be buying. Make sure that you've read the legal pack and you understand what it is that you're doing. But I would say my advice to buyers, if you want to take advantage, but I I don't think they are taking advantage of the market. You've just got to be there. You've got to participate. Otherwise, you could potentially miss out on something. So I think it's just taking part. Previously on Expat Auction Story.
Last week, I used the potential purchase of a freehold block of six one-bed flats in Preston that had previously been a care facility as the backdrop for a deep dive into supported living and sought the advice of Lisa Brown of the Supported Living podcast. I was also considering the option of running the Preston property as serviced accommodation, and I explained that in the wake of the rise in interest rates and the withdrawal of 40% of all mortgage products in the UK, my strategy moving forward would be to seek discounted deals for high-yielding assets as a way to beat the increased levels of stress testing planned by lenders. I arranged for a postcode check to be carried out for the block of flats. A postcode check involves ascertaining whether there are any registered providers looking for supported living accommodation in a particular postcode. Fast forward a month or so and the check revealed that there could be potential, but not with the current layout of the property. The facilities would need to be rearranged as they would prefer en-suite bathrooms for each flat. If we were prepared to arrange the refurb along these lines, they would be happy to set up a pre-lease ahead of the purchase. Regarding rents, however, they were reluctant to be drawn on the exact figure, but seemed to suggest LHA rates as a starting point. Armed with this new information, I ran the numbers and found that the deal looked much less attractive. The refurb would be too expensive if all we could achieve was LHA rates. For serviced accommodation, it was more borderline, but the final nail in the coffin for this property arrived in the form of the legal pack, which revealed the true extent of exactly what was for sale. Last week in episode 43, I explained that, according to the marketing, there was a significant area to the left of the building within the title plan that was undeveloped. With lots like these, if the undeveloped area is large enough, one option is to split off the undeveloped portion and sell it separately with a computer-generated image or CGI to make it attractive to developers. Although this is a strategy that works better in higher value areas than Preston, it may have been worth a punt. But when the legal pack was finally uploaded, the official title plan showed that the undeveloped portion did not belong to the property at all, but to the medical facility next door. I decided to steer clear of this deal, which was just as well as a few weeks later, when it finally went to auction, it sold for a whopping great £520,000, despite having a guide price of just £240,000. It definitely wasn't worth more than half a million pounds to me. So, another frog kissed and back to the drawing board. Meanwhile, another potential holiday let deal appeared on the horizon. This one was on sale with Clive Empson, an auctioneer predominantly selling properties in the south. Yet this particular lot was just outside Scarborough, just inside the North York Moors National Park. It was a freehold property of three cottages that appeared to have previously been part of the farm next door. I had learnt from my friends at the Auction Buyers Club, details in previous episodes, that lots that stick out as being geographically unusual compared to the rest of the lots in a particular catalogue can be a good place to look for a bargain, especially post-auction if they fail to sell. There was a garden to the side of the cottages that offered a spectacular view across the North Yorkshire Moors, which would potentially help make up for the fact that the coast was still a 15-minute drive away. Some people see Scarborough as a better bet for a decent ROI than its more headline-grabbing neighbour Whitby, because although the average daily rate and occupancy levels may be lower, the cost of property is also lower. Hong Kong listeners will share my frustration that we don't have postcodes here, which can sometimes make life difficult, as it did when I tried to register to bid. But a quick call to the auctioneer sorted it all out, and I took the opportunity to ask some questions about the property. It seemed that the seller had been self-managing for many years and had reached an age where they'd had enough. 
Because the cottages were still being let out, there was only one opportunity to arrange a viewing ahead of the auction. Now, in episode 42, while talking about another holiday let in Cumbria that had gone unsold at auction, a contact in the holiday let space had prepared a report for that property. So I used that report as a rough guide for predicting the likely income for the cottages. But to really do the numbers, I needed someone to attend the viewing on my behalf. I could have used Viewber, but it would be better to ask a holiday let specialist, especially if they were familiar with the area. We'll be back with the podcast in a second, but I just wanted to let you know that we help high net worth individuals who perhaps don't have the time, expertise or contacts to find deals that stack right now. We can offer fixed rate returns of up to 12%. So instead of watching your savings get swallowed by inflation, why not schedule a free call via the link in the show notes to see how we might work together. Now, back to the pod. I'm Louise Tomlinson. I run local properties in Scarborough. We have a mixture of holiday lets and SA. And it's a mixture of owned, managed and rented apartments all in the Scarborough area. And we've been running that for a year. My plan was to ask Louise to refurbish and manage the cottages if we ended up buying them. So after her visit, we arranged a Zoom call to discuss what she'd seen. But before discussing the cottages, I wondered how the holiday let sector was doing as a whole at the time of recording in September 2022. Well, the last year it's been very buoyant for us. I wasn't there for the big boom booms just after COVID where the prices were just sky high and people were charging a lot more than usual. I know that this summer just gone, the prices were a little bit more back to normal kind of prices, but still very, very busy. I mean, we were just full. Everywhere was full all through the summer. Everybody that I know was full. It was really boom in summer but just how it should be really in in a seaside town even though people were going back abroad and things like that so it wasn't quite as rammed and as expensive as before when people couldn't go abroad and then the winter for us was very busy I was amazed at February we had 80% occupancy in February lower prices obviously than the summer but still really busy. We had a lot of contractors in the week and leisure at the weekend which is your ideal depending on what you're offering. Some people want purely leisure because theirs are a bit more high-end and they maybe don't attract the contractor market, but we do a bit of both with ours. I guess that's quite location-specific then. Well, a lot of people say for the contractor market, you need to be in or near a city. So I was quite worried with Scarborough. I thought probably we wouldn't have that market. And actually, it's just taking me by surprise. I don't know whether there's Maybe not a lot of competition with people that offer it or there's a, quite a lot of work going on in Scarborough at the moment. There is quite a few projects going on and we've had you know, a lot of interest from the contractor market and it's been really good for us. I asked what Louise would say to people who suggest that now we're coming out of COVID, more people would be looking to go abroad than take staycations. My feeling is that people definitely do want to go away again and go abroad, but that's like their main holiday. But then they might have a smaller holiday as well throughout the year they might take one or two staycations in the UK because it's just nice to get away and a lot of people really enjoy different parts of the UK as well and I think because of the boom in the staycation people have realised how much they love the UK and all the different parts of it as well so I think it's not going to go anywhere I mean Scarborough has been a holiday destination for hundreds and hundreds of years and it's never not going to be a holiday destination 
it might go up and down a little bit in popularity and the image changes slightly over the years, but I think the image is going up again at the moment. I've got friends that have had hotels for 20, 30 years. They've always been busy and they've always made good money from it. But that's a seaside destination. Although this interview was recorded before the market upheaval following the mini-budget in October 2022, there was still uncertainty on the horizon. The energy crisis is worrying for us in our business. Obviously, with residential, the tenant pays the bill, so... You know, that's not on you, but the holiday let market, yeah, it could have a really big impact. So we're watching that very closely. It could wipe out our profit if, you know, if it does go as crazy as what they're saying. So what are your plans for mitigating for that? Obviously, there's some properties that have a lot more margin than others. Our owned properties have got much more margin and they could probably cope with it a bit more or still make profit. The rent to rent properties, are you've got a much smaller margin. They're the ones that, you know, we'll be looking at and keeping a really close eye on and are they still going to be profitable through this crisis or not? And, you know, you might have to have a bit of a hard look at it and you might have to lose some properties if it's not going to work. But, you know, that would be the worst case scenario. We hope that we wouldn't have to lose any properties that they've all been working well in the past. It is quite worrying. One solution for serviced accommodation and HMO operators is to install programmable thermostats to reduce costs. We've got those in nearly all of them, Wi-Fi thermostats that you can cap how long they're on for. You can turn them on and off from your phone and, you know, you can keep an eye on them. And there is one that actually logs into your channel manager. Not quite sure how much that one is. It's probably a bit more expensive, but worth it. Just out of curiosity, those rent-to-rent ones, if it doesn't work out, you can just give it back to the owner or is there a contract tied in? I have three-year contracts with mine. So what if it didn't work out then and the energy bills go through the roof and you go, this is not working, we're losing money. Can you give it back to them before the three years is up? I've got a really good relationship with my landlords and they are very understanding of the model and we do have an agreement. It is actually an agreement that I would have to just give a month's notice if it didn't work for any reason. The thing is, that rental is really in high demand at the moment as well. So if I didn't rent it, they could rent it to a tenant and they would definitely be able to rent it. They like renting it to us because we look after it and we always pay the bills and we you know, we keep it in hotel show home standard and they like working with us, but they would understand you know, if that particular property wasn't working for us and I think I would just have to give notice. The problem is you're losing that revenue as your business and... You've also got furniture that you've invested and that kind of thing. So it's not ideal. So what about my cottages on the outskirts of Scarborough? Well, it was obviously very commercial. It was just up the road from here, in a quite an upmarket sort of rural area. It was a purely commercial property. So straight away, you don't have the same lending options and you don't have the exit of ever splitting it or having a residential tenant in there. You couldn't really do that. It was three small cottages. It was an old bit of farm property that they'd converted into small apartments to sell off, I guess, to somebody to run as holiday lets to make some money, I guess, whoever owned the farm. So what did you find out about the vendor? It was an elderly couple that had been running it for 17 years and they'd run it themselves completely all that time. They'd done all the washing, all the ironing, cleaning, bookings, everything. And they were just tired (laughs) and um, were ready to retire and not run it anymore and they were quite quite exhausted with running it by the sounds of it i'm quite tired just thinking about that (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i think it was very 
basic how they ran it. They just had it in, they had a little site. They had it on Facebook and then they had it on Airbnb, I think. And it was very tired and old school, the way it was renovated. I don't think it had any kind of updates for a long time. So you estimated how much it would cost to refurbish it, right? Worked out at something like £50,000. Because they all needed new kitchens and new bathrooms, right? Yeah, it was probably about 15000 per flat, something like that. Maybe a bit more. New kitchens, new bathrooms, redecorating, new lights, light switches, and the exterior as well, and a bit of work on that. And What did you think about it in terms of renting it out? Yeah, I think it would have rented, yeah. I think it probably would have been popular, yeah. If it had been done up to a really nice standard, you know, new furniture, new kitchen, new bathroom, really modernised, and new photos, those guests that would like to bring dogs, it was a good area for that, out in the country a little bit, just really beautiful views. And I think, yeah, you could have charged more than what they were charging, but they were quite small. They were two beds, but the beds were tiny, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, all of them were very pokey. And the bathrooms were almost bigger than the bedroom. Yeah. I think that's what you told me. Yeah, they were. That's true. (laughs) Out of proportion to the rest of the properties. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, I'm sure they'd work as a commercial venture. But I think if you wanted to buy something and leave your money in and then make your money back over a few years and run it as a venture, then, yeah, I'm sure it would cash flow and make money. But the costs were quite high compared to the cost of the place. And what you could do with it was very limited. Yeah, it wasn't something that I would have bought. If you were asking me to run it and manage it, I think I would have said, yes, I'd be happy to do that because I could see it working. And I think it would get good bookings. But yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to put that amount of money in of what they were asking for it because, yeah, it was very limited what you could do with it. As with all my potential purchases, I ran it past my mortgage broker, who always has my best interests at heart. He said that the fact that it was three cottages in a row would reduce the number of lenders available, but that there were still options. In terms of evaluation, although it was unlikely to attract owner-occupiers, it would still be valued on a bricks-and-mortar basis, because from the lender's perspective, although it's obviously a holiday let now, if the holiday let market should disappear for any reason, then it would only be valued according to rental demand in the area for an AST, and lenders would make their calculation on that basis. I did all the numbers at the guide price of £275,000 and at about 60% occupancy, my ROCE was like 7 or 8%, which is just way too low for me. Not enough for that kind of work and effort. I was fairly sure that no one would buy it at £275,000, the price it was guided at, so I decided to wait until it failed at auction. However, that was before the legal pack was uploaded, and I soon discovered that the property's waste disposal arrangements were via a septic tank located in the farm next door, presumably because there was no communal sewer available due to its rural location. It wasn't the fact that the owner would be responsible for emptying the septic tank that was off-putting here, but the fact that it may be a problem for mortgage lenders. Now, all these challenges have solutions, but what worried me most about this property were the potential problems we would have selling it, if we needed to, in the future. When you're buying properties at auction with cash or on a bridge, you have to consider whether you'll be able to move them onto longer-term finance, not just for yourself, but for the people you will eventually sell to. Louise agreed. 
Yeah, and that's the problem. That's why it's not selling and it's not sold, I think, is because it's a purely commercial purchase and it just narrows down the people that are going to buy that kind of property. It narrows it down so much. And that's why vendors are so scared of commercial properties. That's the exact reason why, isn't it? That would be my worry, the exit. So in the end, I decided to put it on the back burner. I had five weeks left of my auction challenge. So if nothing else turned up in the meantime, perhaps I could make an offer at a price that might make it more tempting. Join me next week to see how it all turned out. Three things worth remembering from today's show are firstly, to always consider your exits. The return of your investment is even more important than the return on your investment. I need to work out whether the potential cash flow offered by the deal in Scarborough is enough to make up for the fact that I may have trouble selling the cottages should the need arise in the future. The second point to ponder is the tricky subject of valuations, particularly with serviced accommodation and holiday lets. Unless you can demonstrate at least two years of accounts for short-stay bookings, your property will probably be valued on a bricks-and-mortar basis, and the lenders will probably be more interested in its value on an AST demand as opposed to its popularity as a short-stay destination. The final point worth noting is that the guide price is just that. If a property fails to sell at auction, you could consider making an offer at a price that works for you. And remember that the auctioneer is obliged to forward your offer to the vendor. So if you can explain and justify your offer to the auctioneer, you never know the vendor may accept it. Now, with high salaries and no income tax for individuals, it's no surprise that we have so many listeners in Dubai as it sounds like the perfect place to save money for deposits for UK property. And although we've had guests from this exciting city in the Middle East, like Safe, the expat property investor, back in episode 9, and Stephen Pardo in episode 11, I don't think I've ever acknowledged Dubai in the exotic listener location part of the show. So it's time to put that right now, and it's definitely exotic for me, as I haven't been there yet. Download numbers for Dubai have been steadily increasing, so it sounds like there's a healthy network of UK property investors there. So if you're one of them, let me know if you've bought a property at auction or if you've tried to buy one, or if you're against the idea of buying at auction. You can write or record a message at the podcast website www.expatpropertystory.com to tell us all about it. And finally, please help me out by rating, reviewing and following the show wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you to today's contributors Sally Smith of Lovitz and Louise Tomlinson of Local Properties. And don't forget to share the show to spread the word. You've been listening to Expat Property Story.